funding for our arts sector has been a hot topic in our news cycle for a while now and another sector that's been struggling to maintain funding is tertiary education. Now combining those two things, a lot of people are worried that our tertiary music schools could be under threat. In the past decade, music schools at the universities of Auckland, Waikato and Otago have gone through significant restructuring and there are fears that Massey and Victoria University may be next. Dr Dougal McKinnon is the Deputy Director of the New Zealand School of Music. He's authored a piece for the Conversation website on this very topic. And Dougal joins me now. Hello there. Hi, Jesse. Nice to talk to you today. How are music schools funded at the moment? What is the current state of things? Well... It's a difficult question. I mean, essentially all arts programs are underfunded. Um, If we get into the technical details, it gets a bit boring. Um, But uh, there is slightly increased funding for uh, courses like music performance, um, which, you know, recognizes uh, that it's a more intensive mode of teaching, uh, that the requirements of students are more demanding. But at the same time, there still remains this uh, perception that the staff-student ratio should always be quite high, that you should have big courses, um, lots of students, and just one lecturer. But, you know, that's just not how music works. It's not how theatre works. It's about small groups or individuals working pretty intensively uh, with a lecturer or a tutor um, and also with each other um, on ensemble work. Does that make it more expensive? Basically, that makes it more expensive. But um, as I said in the article, that's how you get the results that you want. And the results that you want are, you know, young budding artists who can work autonomously to a really high level um, on their own and with their peers. This has presumably always been a problem. You have always needed smaller classes for uh, performance music. Why are you worried right now? Well, we're worried right now because, um, you know, I don't want to be too parochial about it because the whole sector is facing this problem. Um, and I really uh, stand in, in solidarity with colleagues across the country. Um, but it's coming about now because um, the university, uh, Victoria University, um, has a significant deficit. Um, it is a, a real crisis. You know, we appreciate that the vice chancellor is working in, in reasonably good ways to try and solve it. Um, But it it means that uh, so-called expensive courses or courses that have fewer students, and music fits both those categories, unfortunately, um, are being targeted in the face of this funding crisis. Um, And you're also right that this has been a long-term problem. I've talked to, you know, senior colleagues or colleagues who have moved on from the School of Music. Um, They can recount the same problems dating back to to the 90s. Yeah. When you say you're being targeted or your courses are being targeted, do you know this for a fact or are you just feeling vulnerable? Well, I mean, of course, we're feeling vulnerable and theatre, my colleagues in theatre will be feeling vulnerable as well. Um, Look, I I can't really say if we're being targeted or not, but because of the fact that our staff student ratios um, are quite low, you know, it's often one to one teaching. Um, that we need specialist facilities, we need uh, rehearsal rooms, uh, practice rooms, ensemble spaces, music studios, 
um, that makes us expensive. Um, and so it's, it's hard not to uh, surmise that because we're costly, um, we're also a good way to reduce costs. Um, and of course, you know, that really just shows a lack of understanding of what music's about and a lack of vision as to what music is contributing. Yes, so um, it stands out on the balance sheets, but do you also think perhaps what it does is undervalued? Well, I absolutely think that despite the fact that um, people spend their lives uh, suffused with music and enjoying music, that nonetheless uh, the teaching of music is undervalued. Um, I always thought that a good ironic case in point of this was um, Stephen Joyce, who, you know, despite having uh, run radio stations uh, before his his parliamentary career, which obviously, you know, radio stations uh, thrive on music, Mm. you can't do without it, um, that his whole take on tertiary education um, and arts education was a pretty negative one. Um, You know, that might be unfair to him, but that's quite a typical viewpoint. We all love music, we want music, but we're quite happy to forget um, how that music actually comes into being. It is, is it as simple as certain courses very clearly lead to jobs, quite well-paid jobs, and certain courses are a little bit more abstract in what they lead to, that they're possibly not geared around um, a salaried career? Is that your problem, that it's an easy one to point to and say, well, this is not the sort of vocational no, training no, that universities I, tend to... Yeah, go on. Oh, I'd actually dis- I'd disagree with that assertion. Um, most people come into university degrees, and particularly if they're doing BA degrees, um, you know, those are quite broad degrees, and they lead to all sorts of outcomes in terms of work. Uh, so, yes, we have performers who are coming in and they're, you know, absolutely, absolutely focused on ending up on the stage or on, you know, in an opera house, and they do that wonderfully. Um, but music is extremely good preparation for all kinds of careers. I mean, one aspect of music that's often not really thought about is how social music making is and also how logistically and organizationally demanding it is. So if you've come through, um, you know, three or four years of an undergraduate degree, you've learnt a huge number of so-called soft skills that mean you're eminently well-equipped to do all sorts of things, whether that be, uh, you know, teaching music, um, working for a company that organises cultural events of some kind, or, you know, working in a government ministry, um, just bringing to bear your communication and social skills in that context. Yeah, and, and no argument from me there, but uh, the question is, are soft skills undervalued compared to, hard, quote, hard skills? Um, maybe another way of putting it would be to say there's perhaps been too much of a shift towards thinking of a one-to-one relationship between the training that you do uh-huh. and the job you might have at the end of it. Um, and I think that actually just sells society short because people bring all sorts of interesting perspectives and abilities into positions, and you need that diversity, I think, for a, just for any organisation that wants to function highly. It presumes a pretty static labour market too in which all the same jobs that exist now will exist in 10, 20 years' um, time, and that's not necessarily a given. No, that's not a given at all, is it, as we all uh, very well know. Why are universities struggling so much for money? Um, That's a great question. I mean, I think it's been answered well by many commentators um, in various fora. Really, it dates back to uh, the 1990s in this country and the shift towards 
a competitive funding model, um, you know, turning universities into corporations, into businesses who are uh, fighting with each other for students um, and for market share of a very uh, small number of students. Um, and also, I suppose, trying to remain relevant by, you know, establishing courses that will be seen to attract students, but may not necessarily be viable. So there's a kind of I suppose dynamism that was uh, thought would be put in place through this move, and there was a uh, a result that was quite opposed to that. I think it really just made the universities, and we're seeing this now, into what might be called brittle organisations because they're so cut back to the bone that they can't adapt, they can't flourish, they can't uh, work at the high level that they should work at. So. You know, this, this lean, mean economic model is really to the detriment, not just of the universities or students, but uh, to the wider country, I think. Can you imagine for me, Dougal, a, uh, two different futures, a future in which things go uh, right and a future in which things go wrong for music education in universities? Maybe we could start with the, um, if, uh, if, if nothing changes in your view and things go badly, what will that mm. look like? Yeah, well, look, it would be nice to be able to point back, say, to an era, um, say, the 1950s or 40s, probably the 1940s, before there were um, university music departments as such. And at that point in time, you know, there was a really incredibly rich um, culture of music making. But the fact of the matter is, is that uh, things have changed hugely, and we don't have that kind of embedded culture of music making, especially not around, you know, more demanding forms of music, classical music, jazz, and so forth. So I think the result would be that we'd really, um, we'd have a bare bones musical culture, which was quite reduced in scope. And it's not to say anything negative about popular music, because that's, you know, it's absolute lifeblood of music making for, for almost everybody these days. But it might well be that that's all we have left. And that's an incredible loss. Uh, if you think about the diversity of musical activity, musical traditions that we have today. So that would be, I suppose, the dystopia in a way. I mean, maybe it's not dystopic to everybody, but I think if you don't have diversity, you're certainly headed towards a dystopia. Um, and then the positive vision would be one where the current trends in music making, which is uh, there's increasing collaboration across forms of music and across sectors, you know, collaborations between classical musicians and music technologists, for example, um, that we've just got a huge amount of that kind of dynamic, collaborative, engaged music making that's leveraging um, social media platforms, um, the ability of people to get music out into the world quickly and easily off their own backs. Um, and essentially, we've got a kind of version of what we already have, but it's just properly supported and properly valued. Sounds like something's going to need to change, at least in the approach. Yeah, well, you know, I think colleagues and I across the country, we're hopeful that the um, uh, the review that Grant Robertson announced, um, the review of the university funding um, model, that that will bring some good. Um, and if it did, then we may well have something that approaches the kind of <laughs> utopic future that I've just pointed to. Might that involve taking music schools out of universities? Oh, I think that's that would be so short-sighted. Um, and the idea that music is something that's made in isolation from, you know, scholarly and intellectual activity and 
and uh, you know that music is siloed and it doesn't interact with other areas, other disciplines. That's just not how it is. Um, it never was the case, and it's particularly not the case um, in 2023. Um, you know, so the idea of creating little academies of music, that's a great way to ensure the end of dynamic and interesting music making. And I really hope that nobody uh, goes down that path. Thank you for starting the conversation and for talking to us today. I really appreciate it. That's great. Appreciate it. And um, you're quite right about kraut rock. That's a 100% accepted term <laughs> and nice choice of tracks too. Thank you. Really Thank you, Dr. Dougal McKinnon. Deputy Director of the New Zealand School of Music, uh, Music at Victoria University. He's got a piece on the conversation. If you'd like to read more from him,